Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lewis. No, I'm Doug Battle. Mike Lewis is... Uh, He's a little under the weather, but he is on the podcast. I'm just carrying the team on my back today. So, Mike, we we had the NBA Finals uh, finish up this last week, and we've begun the Olympics. Um, so, U.S. swimming off to a great start. My Georgia Bulldogs have more medals than any country except <laughs> one, which is pretty amazing. Um, but the big story to me in the Olympics so far has been... USA men's basketball losing their opener. Hold on. Hold on. The Georgia Bulldogs have how many Olympic medals so far? Oh, I think they have like six. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Where, where, where does Georgia dominate in? Is it uh, swimming, swimming, gymnastics? Swimming. We had one. Swimming? Okay. We had one and two um, for one of the races. I actually went to school with one of the guys out there. He's a triplet. So there were three of them, and they, and they were all in the Olympics at some point. Yeah, UGA dominates in swimming men's and women's in the olympics it's I, it's pretty normal for I, that to happen i was watching some of the highlights and i saw that katie ledecky who apparently has won every uh olympic final she's been in going yeah. back to you know something like 19 1904 she's right? unreal so 2012 yeah lost to the australian titmus and to me that in some ways typifies the beauty of the olympics right it's ledecky versus titmus and it's it's going down to the wire, right? It's like they can make us care about, at least for a moment, make us care about just about anything. Yeah, I actually love swimming, probably because USA wins so much. But it's a very, it's a very close sport. And I will say this: I was talking to someone about this the other day. The sports I tend to like most in the Olympics are the objective sports where there are winners and losers. And by that, I mean where it's not graded on style points. Like gymnastics is always tough for me because it's a beautiful sport. Um, it's a, a fascinating sport. The The athletes are some of the greatest athletes in the world. But any sport that is graded um, by a judge, you know, subjectively, it, it's a little bit like a dunk contest to me where it, it feels like maybe the other person really did better and it's just what the judge chose. So I like watching a winner and loser. That's why I love swimming. Um, and it always well, comes down to the wire, it seems. Unless it's can, Michael can Phelps. Who, like a whole can I disagree with you? Can I disagree with you? Because I used to feel exactly the same way you did. Yeah. Un until, and I don't remember exactly what this was called, but skateboarding is in the Olympics. And they have an event, something called street, street something, street style, perhaps. Yep, yep. And it's entirely judged by, it's entirely judged. There's nothing objective to it. It's not a race. But what I, I fell in love with the sport immediately when, I mean, it reminds me of like that old bit, right? Where, uh, uh, what was that? Uh, dodgeball or something, the Ocho, where it's sort of novelty <laughs> sports because the arena for skateboarding Looks like they've just replicated a mall parking lot yeah. with a few steps and some railings. Beautiful. And I thought it was the greatest thing ever. It's like this is this is kind of this is kind of crazy. There's like three different railings. I guess they can jump off any of them. It, it, you know, when I think of the Olympics, I guess I'm like everyone. I think, oh, the strongest guy in the world lifting weights, or the fastest guy in the hundred meter dash. But some of it just makes me laugh, and and in a positive kind of fun loving way. 
Yeah, it reminds me of when COVID began and ESPN began showing some obscure sports. And I think that's what you're getting now with ESPN, the Ocho um, for people to gamble on and people to place bets on. I don't even <laughs> remember what it would be, but it would be like marble racing. Um, and, and you could bet on different marbles or, or something like that. But yeah, the, the Olympics have definitely changed and evolved over the years. I love them still. Um, but man, am I disappointed in USA basketball start? I think they've lost three of four going back to the exhibition games. And they lost their first game um, to Rudy Gobert and company. Things are a little dicey, a little dicey over there. Well, I'm not sure. I, I heard some stat, too. And again, just in passing, something that they've lost maybe five out of their last eight international games. And so this is a program that, well, it's a program that seems to have been a bit of disarray. I was watching ESPN this morning, and I don't know who the commentator was. It was someone filling in for Stephen A. Smith, I think, who was saying that the the players were going to get the team through it because they were going to figure out how to, they were, they were going to figure out how to put it together. They were going to start ignoring Popovich. Yeah. And they were going to figure out how to get the team to the gold medal. I'm like, bold strategy. That strikes me as crazy. That strikes me as we're going to see a lot of kind of hero ball well, um, for, the, for the USA. Yeah. And I, you know, I can make a huge criticism of this group of players. Um, and it's that from what I've heard that they're, and of course, this could be the media blowing things out of proportion. But from what I've heard, a lot of these players are resistant to Greg Popovich's system. They say they don't want to play in the San Antonio Spurs system. And uh, I mean, uh, to to one degree, I understand that the feeling of, hey, we're better than these guys on an individual level. Let us just essentially play isolation basketball one-on-one against these guys and just pound them for a game. But at the same time, Greg Popovich is in the conversation to be the greatest NBA coach of all time. He's got a great system and we've got a group of players that all want to play hero ball that all want to play isolation basketball. And you've got a coach who's dedicated to a system who's married to a system who will not have his players play in any other way. I think that's a recipe for disaster right there. I think they either need a group of players that are willing to play in a system and a coach that, that has a great system like Greg Popovich or a group of players that want to play hero ball and a coach that, that lets them do that. That's not the case this year. So, you know, I haven't seen a lot of leadership or haven't heard about a lot of leadership with this team. They look pretty uninspired with the exception of a few guys. And U.S. basketball, I think the big question is, has USA basketball fallen or has global basketball gotten that much better in recent history? I don't know. You know, it's, I feel like one of the problems when you, as you age, is you feel like everything's in reruns. Um, you know, we can't go an episode without talking about The Last Dance and Jerry Krause. And, <laughs> and so when you talk about international basketball, I always go back to Tony Kukoc. And mm-hmm. what was Kukoc? Mid 90s, right? So there's like 93, 92. That the the world is is always catching the world is always catching up and the USA is always in in danger of sort of just becoming another another team. So it's like and and there's also also this story of you know the French team they play together in tournaments they they've known each other since they were kids they're they're all together they're cohesive 
I'm here, sure we'll have the same thing about the Slovenians or whoever else is <laughs> the Spanish, the Italians. Yeah. And the U.S. guy guys are looking for this random collection of volunteers that come out together. And there's no team balance. There's no team chemistry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but that being said, I, I have no idea. I mean, when you said there, it looks low energy. Do you think there's a? Look, I, I think emotional content matters in sports, and team unity matters yep. in sports. Yeah, you know, we did a whole episode about Ted Lasso, right? That's kind of collective coming together. From what you've seen watching this, do you think they lack that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, my first thought watching them yesterday was that these guys, and some of them were just in the NBA finals. um, And these guys look like they don't care about these games like they did those NBA finals games. A gold medal in the Olympics does not have the same weight to them as an NBA finals trophy. A world championship, in a sense, is not as great as a national championship in the minds of Americans, in the minds of uh, NBA basketball players, largely, I think. And so it feels more like a pre, you know, not even a regular season NBA game. It feels like a preseason NBA game where even when they lose, guys don't look super upset. They don't look embarrassed. They don't look, they look like, well, we came out and, you know, whatever. Well, let me, let me ask you this. Is it like sort of the, the anatomy of a loss of a better team, of a number one seed versus a 16 seed? Mm hmm. The number one seed comes out, they are better at every position on the court. They also don't play well together because they've never really played well together. They they run into a team that is actually not that, le- you know, the talent level is not that different. Maybe they're overestimating the, the, the differential. Yeah. And then when things start to go wrong, the hero ball starts, things, you know, in some ways that's all, almost playing into a sure defeat. Now, when you say they, they don't look like they care as much, well, here's the fear, right? Does losing to France make them suddenly care, or does it make them suddenly care even less? Well, you know, I was thinking losing to Nigeria and losing to Australia in exhibition games, first off, was because it was an exhibition game and they probably weren't going all out. And second off, would light a fire under them and make them realize, okay, no one's going to hand us a gold medal we've got to earn it and our competition is much more stiff than we anticipated, but we absolutely have the talent to beat any of these teams and we have to come together here, but seeing them lose three out of four, three out of four USA basketball. And these aren't even the best competition they're going to play. I mean, they haven't played Spain. They haven't, I mean, there's a number of uh, really competitive teams, Australia, Nigeria are, are not typically on that list. France is pretty good, I, I will add. Um, Rudy Gobert is a good player. It, it's still funny, though, because Rudy Gobert is like a second-tier all-star type guy. Uh, the second-best player and probably the best player in yesterday's game was Evan Fournier, and he is like a hardly a role player in the NBA, and he was out there dominating this super team of, of NBA players. And, and so, I don't know. Seeing him yesterday, I kind of felt like these guys are over it. They're over it. There's something there. There's either beef between players, which I've seen speculation about, or they don't like Popovich being hard headed about his system, or they're jet lagged. I, I don't know, but they seem like they're over it. And as an American basketball fan, I actually am, am pretty pessimistic about their 
metal run here. Part of me has been hoping that this is just setting up for a, a story where they bounce back and, and go win it as they easily could, it seems, uh, from a talent perspective. But there's something with the body language. There's something with the body language that, that shows maybe not defeated, but over it, I think, is the, is the best two words I could, I could use. Well, and, and we can continue with the, the basketball, though, with only one game in. Maybe there's not much more to add. Of course, this draws a parallel to the U.S. women's national soccer team mm-hmm. who lost to Sweden 0-3 and then came back and beat someone 6-1. to mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, I, I think USA basketball, men's basketball, is probably the most dominant team on, on the planet in terms of the difference between that team and the rest of the world. But the U.S. women's team is similar in terms of their domination of international competition. And, mm. and I mean, and you, and you do wonder, right, is the Olympics just, because the Olympics isn't their main, their main driver of success either, right? That's the, that's the FIFA, uh, FIFA yeah. tournament. Yeah. So I, are these kind of, you know, the Olympics is supposed to be the pinnacle. Is the Olympics almost a nuisance to these American juggernauts? I don't think so for women's soccer. I've always viewed it because that's that's the stage in which I've been exposed to, to U.S. women's soccer, and I think a lot of people have. Uh, I think it really means something to them, and I, I think it's an incredible honor to be a part of that team and to represent the country. I think that's the case for for any Olympic sport, but I think those girls mm-hmm. don't take it lightly. I just, I, I personally, I don't think they're as good as maybe they've been in previous years, so they've got a little bit more of a challenge ahead of them to to make a run here but it, it, again it's different with basketball where the perception is that at literally every position on the court the u.s is very superior and they've got the best coach in the nba and they're getting beat by guys that are backups to these players in the nba or not even able to make the nba um I don't know. I see it as two different things. I see the parallel there, um, but I feel like women's soccer, uh, the Olympic gold medal, to me, that's like the Super Bowl. I know the FIFA, yeah, FIFA's a really, really big deal, but relative to the NBA finals, like rings mean everything to these NBA players, and yeah, gold medal in the Olympics is is just another trophy from high school. I think that's fair. You know, in, in the women's soccer, FIFA is probably one, and the Olympics is 1A. Yeah. But in the NBA, the NBA titles are won, and the Olympics are something nice that you do for your country. Yeah, and to and to maybe build your brand a little bit. Yeah, but getting back to the U.S. and its place in basketball amongst the rest of the world, there is a part of me that feels like the world is is accelerating significantly. You look at the top ten players in the league, and within those ten, you're going to have. Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, Luka Doncic. There's probably four or five of the top ten players that are that are foreign. And it, Nikola Jokic, another one in the MVP. I mean, the entire MVP conversation was just about foreign players. And so, the world is absolutely accelerating at a rapid pace in in terms of basketball talent. Um, does that mean this USA team? isn't more talented than the next team? Absolutely not. But these teams, like you said, playing together over multiple seasons, essentially, uh, summers and all the rest, 
have that chemistry, and, and it, it's kind of the classic basketball situation. It takes me back to when the Miami Heat assembled and they threw together LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh and just put them on a super team, and they went up against the Mavericks, who were significantly less talented, Dirk Nowinski being the only all-star on that team, Jason Terry probably being the second-best player on that team, a very old Jason Kidd on that team, a very old Sean Marion on that team, and the Mavericks wiped the floor with them, uh, and the Spurs did it a different time, but it's like these teams with chemistry, chemistry is so important in sports, but particularly in basketball and these teams that move the ball well and that have played together and that also emotionally have that chemistry where they, they know each other and they've played together and they've been through ups and downs together. They're able to face adversity together. I think that's what's given these, these other countries the edge against USA. And I'm not saying USA's reign is over in terms of basketball, but the challenge is certainly we're going to have more, buzzer beater gold medal games than we've ever seen in, in the coming Olympics. You know, like maybe this is a direction we don't want to go. It, it, it kind of raises a question to me, <laughs> obviously the big goal of, uh, I was about to say David Stern, but uh, silver in the uh, NBA has been to make the game more international. Yep. Something similar to, to soccer. Now we've, you know, we, we had a, a Euro 2020 this summer. Um, yeah, obviously, you know, FIFA is the biggest athletic tournament in the world. It does, you know, the U.S. disinterest in the Olympics, and I think they would push back on that word disinterest, but I, don't, I think that's what you have to call it at this point. The U.S. disinterest in the Olympics and in having a set national team does kind of make you wonder how they could eventually ever get to that get to that point you know the rest of the world catching up is oddly good for basketball mm-hmm. or it's good for what the nba wants if they wanted it to be a true worldwide game but it's not clear how you actually let's say can uh, get from point a where we're at right now to point b if the biggest international competition the olympics is kind of an afterthought for the americans yeah the I mean, it's got to mean something to these guys. And I think lose, I honestly think if they don't medal or if they get bronze or something, I think that might actually be what the U.S. needs in the long term. Because if you go back to, I believe it was 2004, that team with Allen Iverson and company that lost to Argentina. And the <laughs> the next Olympics was when, you know, all of a sudden all the A-list guys signed up. You had Kobe Bryant out there. You had, you know, they were the redeem team. They were the team that was out to get the to bring USA basketball back to the front. They took it personally that their country was was slandered after losing. Yeah. And you and from then on, I mean, from then on, you had Kobe and LeBron on the same team. You had, I mean, you had truly the best players in the league. Because I think another criticism that people have made is that well, Steph Curry's not out there, and LeBron's not out there, and James Harden's not out there. There's a lot of top tier NBA Americans that are not on this team. Um, that's not to say this team isn't talented enough to win the thing because it's simply not true. But the best players are sitting it out because it's not as important to them as being healthy for next season. That's the bottom line. Yeah, well, and I mean, this idea of the redeem team, historically, that takes us back to, of course, the dream team. Right. <clears throat> and and really the the impetus for a lot of that was that the U.S. was no longer a sure thing to win the the basketball gold medal that's sending the college kids up against the Russian military basketball team, right? I mean, it was always this kind of narrative 
that the college kid, it was the U.S. boys against the 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 world's men, and mm-hmm. that was just wrong. And so we had to bring out Jordan and Bird and Magic, et cetera. And so you know maybe there is something to what you're saying that it's going to cycle back to well we'll have more pride in the next one. Yep. I don't know. It's a it's a good question though. It's um, I mean because it it is, it is a funny thing. As you said they've lost three out of the last four. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, but you know. Uh, going back to how much this means or doesn't mean to these players, when we have the go conversations about Jordan and LeBron and Kobe Bryant, and they list the accolades, I don't even know if gold medals get listed. I know Kobe Bryant. Yeah. I saw a stat yesterday. He never lost an Olympic game. He was like thirty-eight and zero. I think. Um, I don't know that LeBron did either, for that matter. He may have lost one somewhere in there, but these guys are judged according to their success in the NBA, their wins and losses in the NBA, their championships in the NBA, their MVPs in the NBA, and their finals MVPs. And outside of that, nothing really matters. So especially these guys that are later in their career, Steph Curry, LeBron James, whose bodies take a toll or have taken a toll, it makes sense on an individual level, especially if you're if you're purely thinking about your own legacy, to sit this out. Because to be frank, LeBron is sitting this one out, and I've seen more on Twitter about how this shows how good LeBron is because this team never lost when LeBron was on the team. But now that, that he's off, they're losing all their games. They're losing three out of four. And so it's actually it's not hurting LeBron. People aren't looking at it and saying, how selfish of LeBron to sit this out and allow the U.S. to become embarrassed. That is not, for whatever reason, that's not the perspective of fans. So they have nothing really to gain. I think a player like LeBron has nothing to gain. If he's on this team and they're losing, you're hearing more LeBron slander and saying Jordan would would never let this happen. <laughs> you know, some of this seems like it's a little too much drama yeah. on the periphery, right? I mean, I don't, you know, because in some ways adding LeBron, yeah, that, that might help. And I know there was one sequence against France where the U.S. missed something like five uncontested shots. So... <laughs> You know, having Steph Curry and Trey Young out there might might help, uh, but the idea of adding more ego, yeah, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a tough one to figure out. You know, it's I mean, I, I think it's obviously got to get to the point where I mean, I, I get again, I keep coming back to thinking about you know how international competition works in something like soccer, and and to be honest with you, I don't know the economic models of playing on the national team. All I know is that. In this country, we have a lot of lawsuits about payment for playing on the international team. Mm-hmm. I assume that in the Olympics, there isn't, there aren't massive checks being written. In contrast to the FIFA tournament, where I assume there are big checks being written mm-hmm. to the, to the participating players. Um, I I don't know. Maybe the Olympics is almost a a doomed event where you know if the goal is to have a big money international tournament then that's where the eventual u.s team equilibrium will evolve where maybe the best in general the best players are coming out for that versus the olympics where as long as they've still got the semblance of amateurism it's only ever going to be this kind of brand building opportunity or you know doing the right thing for your country kind of thing yeah well when we talk about brand building opportunity this Olympics in particular has presented an opportunity for these basketball players unlike any in recent years because of the timing of it. Because LeBron didn't make the 
or didn't make it past the first round this year. And it's felt as if the NBA is up for grabs. That got you know, we had Jordan and then it carried over to to Kobe and that crossed over with LeBron. And it seems as though LeBron's toward the end of his reign. We've talked about this. We've talked about there's this young crop of NBA players, yeah. um, and all of whom are in a position to kind of take the throne. So with an Olympic situation like this, where someone's got to step up, someone's got to carry this team, someone's got to show some leadership, someone's got to be a champion out there and, and well, lead the troops. And Doug, you, Doug, let me ask you this. Who's the, I mean, this strikes me, this is Durant's team. Well, it should Durant be. Durant is the guy. But right? where, where's the leadership? Where's, you know, I think yeah. it's his opportunity to be that guy and to say, you know what, I, I'm going to take this yeah. team on my back. It's his opportunity. He doesn't have to be in LeBron's shadow anymore. Um, and then if he's not going to step up, you know, these younger players, Jason Tatum, I know is one that people have kind of talked about. Maybe he'll be in that conversation one day. Um, a lot of them are kind of fading into the background in this and not taking advantage of the opportunity, in my opinion. And I think from a, a legacy standpoint and from a brand building standpoint, because we talk about that so much, you know, it's a missed opportunity. I think even Damian Lillard being kind of known as the Mr. Clutch, Mr competitive um i'd love to see him take over and and see some of that same fight we see from him in the playoffs every year and, and see him become that guy i'm a fan of his i'd love to see him be that guy uh, but we really haven't seen any one player step up to that level i think the last game J drew holiday was the leading scorer um who's really viewed as one of the lesser players talent wise on this team well i'm not sure where to take it from take the discussion from here because there is always the danger, right? That they go on a run and win the gold medal. There's well, that's no not a danger reaction. to me. I, I absolutely welcome yeah. that. I yeah. would love to see it. I would love <laughs> well, to see but, it. But I mean, I, I'm with you. This seems to be the sort of the big story at the moment for, for basketball is the shakiness of this team. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll have to see what unfolds. I'm hoping things bounce back. I still think yeah. it's very possible and it's very much in their control. Uh, it's just a matter of what's going on behind closed doors. I have no idea. We can only speculate at this point. We'll have to see how it unfolds. But moving on from basketball, uh, football's coming up. I've got football fever right now, Mike. I I have found myself watching highlights, <laughs> keeping up with uh, college or pro, Doug. Both, both, the whole thing. Both. I was, you know, I found myself watching Eli Manning Super Bowl highlights the other day. That's that's <laughs> the time of year that it is. Um, so yeah, both and. Football fever is upon us. We've got all kinds of rumors in the NFL as to what's going on with Aaron Rodgers. Um, I, I heard yesterday that he was going to retire. I saw this morning that he was going to play for Green Bay. Saw previously in the offseason that he's going to play elsewhere. I've seen that Deshaun Watson is on the trading block. There's, there's all kinds of potential movement in the NFL. And then in college football, I think the story is still NIL. How does this affect competition this year? Are, are these players affected? Or is their focus altered? And what kind of pay-for-play opportunities does it open the, the doors for? Because there seems to be a little wiggle room with NIL. And so, you know, I, we're coming up on August, and it's like practice is about to start, and it, it is almost football season. Well, I think the big story has got to be something that's not even going to happen. <laughs> and that is Texas and Oklahoma saying that they don't want to renegotiate the Big 12 TV 
package, which is, I think, the timing of that was 2025. Which makes you wonder is, um, you know, are we going to see kind of a dead man walking Big 12 for the next couple of years yeah. where the there's a couple of teams that want out that are going to leave, but they can't get out. I, I don't know. I don't know if, you know, what the what the logistics would be of that. But, Doug, you're a Georgia fan, which means that you believe to your core. One of the one of the tenets of being a Georgia fan <laughs> is that the SEC football is the best football in America. <laughs> that is right. So if the SEC is to add Oklahoma and Texas, you know, what, what does that give the SEC? Maybe half of the top dozen or so football brands in America? Yeah, it, it does. And I'm, I'm so glad you brought up this subject, Mike, because... This is really interesting to me, the potential of Oklahoma and Texas. And it almost seems inevitable at this point that they're coming to the SEC. But yeah, the, the top probably half of teams or, or half of the top teams, I should say, um, in one conference, it's going to be a bloodbath for that conference. I don't know. I mean, the playoff implications are going to be interesting, uh, particularly if they move to a model where conference champions get an automatic bid and therefore... Oklahoma would essentially be foregoing an automatic bid to play in the SEC. Um, but for first thought on all this is how hilarious is it that these SEC fans that I, I'm seeing on my timeline on Twitter are acting as though Oklahoma will not stand a chance in the SEC. Oklahoma <laughs> doesn't have what it takes to withstand an FCC schedule. Yeah, they might they might have a chance in a one-off game at the end of the season, but can they make it through an SEC schedule when half of the SEC is teams that Oklahoma would beat by 40 points? Uh, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas. Uh, half the league is is not very good. And so I, I find it hilarious that we're acting like one of the top five teams perennially in the country doesn't stand a chance. That is very fair and an amazingly well-balanced statement of perspective. For an SEC fan. <laughs> I, I try to be objective, but, Mike. I try to be objective. But I can easily imagine a scenario where suddenly Oklahoma has gone from being, you know, since Texas can't seem to get their act together, they have gone from being almost an automatic conference champion to in any given year being, you know, they've gone from being almost the default number one in their league to essentially in the mix mm -hmm. after let's put Alabama at the top. Yep. You know, you might hate that, but no, it's true. Oklahoma in the mix with Georgia, Florida, LSU, Auburn, Auburn Texas, and, and so yep. Texas. Well, but I mean, all I can say, you know, maybe those, those four that now they've put themselves in a position where they could have the same quality team and they could be the fourth best team in the SEC instead of the top team in the Big 12. Yeah, it's very That's possible. That's got to hurt. It's very possible. And you have to wonder, from their side of things, what are they gaining here from that? Because this is a team that has a cakewalk, essentially, to college football playoff every year, which has got to help recruiting. Being in that top four teams every year and telling players, hey, you can come compete for a championship here. Uh, it's not that they can't compete for a championship in the SEC. It's just that it's that much harder, and there, there's likely going to be less playoff appearances, less winning. I mean, less wins across the board, and um, 
less dominance. So for Oklahoma, and, it's, it's a little bit of a head scratcher for me. I know there's money and there's a lot that comes with, with being a part of the SEC, but you're also losing quite a bit. And I think that, you know what, I, I don't know that a lot of, I don't know that a lot of people in sports or university presidents um, really fully appreciate the branding side of all of this. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, potentially, potentially you have Texas and Oklahoma go to the SEC. Yeah, you know what? The SEC is in a different league now than the other college football conferences. There is more money flowing to all of those programs. But the SEC has a great brand, but do some of these other teams have those same opportunities? And, and does it matter what the individual teams have in terms of their brands? I mean, you know, you know frankly, you almost wonder if LSU was somehow in the Pac-12, would LSU be a top five program year in, year out, right? And so there, there's a strange kind of almost back and forth between what is good for the league and what is good for the for the individual programs. And it, it's actually kind of strange given, you know, it's almost like they, they, they might be too short-term focused in terms of looking at the annual TV deal and not long-term enough focus in thinking about the legacy of the school in terms of winning championships and building the brand name. Because when they, you know, not to belabor the point, you know, when you think about schools like Notre Dame and USC, those football programs affect not just the football programs, they affect the schools. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah. But looking at this, so if this happens, the SEC becomes a super conference or more of a super conference. Here's my proposal. This is Doug's proposal for college football, um, mm -hmm. inspired by the television show Ted Lasso. The SEC <laughs> breaks off from the NCAA and becomes a league above it. <laughs> the conferences that include, well, let's not say conferences. Let's say there's a Southeast conference, okay? Because the Southeastern is a little bit, I'm going to say South slash East and that includes Texas and Oklahoma and, and those teams in the SEC. And then you have a West and North conference. So anywhere from Ohio State and Notre Dame to USC, Oregon, et cetera, throw them all, Wisconsin, all, all these teams, throw them in one conference. And now we have two super conferences and the bottom team from each super conference is relegated, which I learned from Ted Lasso, to the NCAA where all the other college teams are playing. And the NCAA champion um, and probably the runner-up, I guess, would have to be lifted into one of the two super conferences. And there's more parity. There's more competition. There's less cupcake games in college football. I'm not saying I think this happens. I just think it would be awesome. You know, it's, it's not... Uh... As you were talking through that, and I think this is it's kind of why the conference realignment is such a great story for fans because mm -hmm. it it gets you straight to these kind of these barroom conversations about what ifs and mm -hmm. well we'll move this one here we'll move that one here. The, the reaction of the other conferences has got to there's got to be something, mm -hmm. and and maybe we do end up with you know five is always kind of an awkward number, right? <laughs> maybe four is a less awkward number. Right. There's kind of the southern. There's a Southern Conference, an Eastern Conference, a Midwestern Conference, and a Western Conference. Mm -hmm. But do these other conferences have to make some additional moves to 
You know, I mean, how do you carve up the rest of the Big 12? You look at the rest of the Big 12, is there really a lot there that anyone would want? You know, Kansas might be yeah. a, a little bit of a prize if you care about basketball in your conference. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, if you're the Big 10 and you're looking to now, you know, the, the, Big, Tw- the Big 10 went out when they were sort of playing this game. They, what did the Big 10 do? They went out and they grabbed Rutgers. Right, mm-hmm. you almost wonder if they wish they could get could have got that one back. Right, it was all mm-hmm. this play for the for the New York and New Jersey television market. I don't know that there's a lot of TV screens that are being tuned in to watch <laughs> Rutgers, Rutgers versus Iowa in sports bars in in New Jersey. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it kind of seems like a long shot to me. But how do these other conferences respond? What else is there out there for people to steal from each other? I I don't know the answer. It, it seems like after all these years. The pickings are slim, they might say. Yeah, I'm just saying, throw Clemson in the SEC, throw Florida State, Miami in the SEC, <laughs> put all those other good teams in a different conference, two mega conferences, break off from the NCAA because no one likes them anyway, and uh, have some... I, I just have, you know, college football, like as a Georgia fan, there's maybe three weeks out of a 12-week season that are competitive because, mm-hmm. and it goes, to, you know, it's kind of the same, I think, for, for on the other side of things where... Some of these teams go to get beat out every to get blown out every week, and some of these teams blow out ninety percent of the competition. They really only have three games a year against a competitive opponent, and it's like, okay, what if we okay. put so all those teams? I, got, in one I have. I, I got to interrupt you now at this point. Okay, so a couple of things. <laughs> um, number one, you're talking about the you know the super conferences, and if you you lose, you're relegated to the NCAA. Yes. I somehow I don't know what the NCAA. I don't see much of a future for the NCAA, to be honest. Yeah, with you. between NIL and all, and everything that's happened, right? But why I had to stop you is, is this notion because I I love where you're going. I love that idea. There's only three weeks that are competitive. Okay, so we we wear our fandom. We're very open about our affiliations on this show, and I'm a University of Illinois guy. And so, what's in it for me, Doug? So. You're going to relegate me? Yes. You're going to push me down to, uh, I, I don't know, Big Ten Junior? You're going to be, junior you're going to be in a league. You're going to be in a league where every week it's competitive football games. You're not playing Ohio State. You're not playing Michigan when they're good. You're, and I should be happy with um, being competitive against Western Michigan and Ball State and uh, Miami, and Ohio. Here's the thing. Yes, because when you beat, you have the opportunity to win a championship, you have an opportunity to beat all these teams. And if you do, your program can rise to the next level and recruiting will rise. And all of a sudden you become part of the big leagues and you're fighting for that. And if wait, you lose... Wait, so after after years of striving, I be, I get to be in the bottom of the <laughs> Super 10. Well, let's we'll say Pac-10, Big 10. We'll go back to those old n- numbers and we'll merge that. Uh, the Big Pack. So the I get to be pack. the bottom member of the Big Pack. And see how long I can stick around in there. It's like soccer. You're relegated. <laughs> You're relegated. But but we're seeing in season two of Ted Lasso that you know you can still have a whole television show around a relegated team. So, <laughs> but hey, think about these these top tier teams now. On the flip side, I know I know we don't love to think about them when we're Illinois fans, <laughs> but think about that and they're not going to win it's not going to be the expectation to win 12 games a year it's going to be like the NFL where 
you've got to go above 500. It's going to be a lot of competition, a lot of... Because here's the thing. Teams like Florida, teams like Georgia, teams like Clemson, teams that aren't Alabama that are really good, um, they go 9-3. and three. That's a bad year. That's awful. That's The fans act like they didn't win a game. You know why? Because there's three games that are competitive. They lost the only three games that were really 50-50 games, and that sucks. But making it where every week is competitive and where Alabama's having three or four losses because they're having a, a brutal schedule, I don't know. I think it becomes like the NFL, and it's just more competitive, and there's less teams that, like Clemson, some years won't play a ranked team all season and go to the playoff. Um, it would be far more earned. A championship would Look, be far more earned. You are not wrong. Everything you're saying <laughs> makes total sense in terms of the competition, in terms of the quality of the product, right? You're, you're actually advocating for a better quality of the product. Yeah. You're going to generate more TV dollars. I, frankly, if I'm the NFL, I'm, I'm almost a little bit afraid of what might be coming if there do, does end up being essentially two super conferences with, I don't know, maybe eight teams in each of them. So we boil this down to, you know, 32 teams playing the highest level of playing the highest level of football, perhaps. Yeah. But you're also blowing it up. You're, you know, you're blowing <laughs> up the history of college yeah, football. I know, I know. And so you're, you're kind of rolling the dice. In some ways, it's remember when they were talking about that super soccer league yep. a few years ago? Yeah. Or actually, just Recently. a few months ago, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Yep. Is there, you know, is there a downside to taking the dollars now? Every part of me, every part of what's inside of me, and again, we have to be careful for my biases, thinks it's a bad idea in the long term to create the super league and make the big money, mm-hmm. that you're just going to alienate so many fans. That's what I want to think, but my suspicion is that it is the smart economic play. And if it's the smart economic play, it's probably where we're getting to eventually. Yeah. Now, that being said, you know, you can almost go through a whole list of schools. Um, Mississippi State, you know, Illinois, Rutgers, Wake Forest, that should see the writing on the wall and be trying to maneuver within their leagues to slow this down. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a great point. But getting back to, uh, you know, I'm not going to say Illinois because I don't want to dog on their team too much. But let's say Georgia Tech. They're fun to dog on uh, as a Georgia fan. But let's say Georgia Tech. And you look at this thing and you're saying, so you're telling me you're going to put, and maybe Georgia Tech is in that top tier, honestly. Tradition, historically, they would be. Uh, right now, they wouldn't. But you're saying to me, Georgia Tech is going to have to play in a different league than their rival, Georgia. Well, yeah, I am saying that. I think they're already in a different league. I think, and I'm not, I'm really not saying that as an insult. They don't, it's just matter of fact, they do not have the resources when a team that has a $100,000 recruiting budget goes up against a team that has a $100 million recruiting budget. It's not a fair fight. It's not. And like, I can say that I've seen it a million times. It's not a fair fight. And teams like that just, I I don't know that they belong in a, a league where they're playing against teams with the same resources. It's it's like putting the Yankees up against uh, a college team uh, that that hardly has any resources. It's just not it's not fair. The the money that well, these big schools are generating puts them in a different league. 
And not to mention NIL. And, and you know, it, NIL, the opportunities and the money, how lucrative it's going to be playing for Alabama uh, versus playing at UAB. Those two teams do not belong in the same tier of, of college football. You're, pr- you're probably getting at something fundamental in all this in that th- this idea of these higher, I, I don't know what, these blue blood, mm-hmm. these kind of high revenue programs coming together in some, I may, and maybe I, I, maybe I'm coming across as incredibly wishy washy here in terms of what my heart wants versus where <laughs> no, I think you're thinking out both sides. You're thinking out loud. That's cool. Thinking how the economics play out, but yeah. this might be the only way to ensure sufficient revenue sharing for there to be a balance of power of competitive balance. That in the super SEC, which may eventually mean that, well, we're we're going to see you later. Vanderbilt, we're going to see you later. As it should, State. as it should have already happened with Vanderbilt. It, well, but the big question is, where do you actually draw that line? I mean, that, that's one question. So, given that we can't have a draft of high school talent and tell people, well, you're going to go to the University of Alabama, son. You're going to go to Georgia, right? Since that's not doesn't seem to be feasible, mm-hmm. that maybe that kind of revenue sharing, a la the NFL is the best bet at maintaining competitive some some level of parity. Now, Doug, let me ask you a, a small question in all okay. this. <sighs> University of Kentucky, are they a good enough football program for your this is uh, a great, fantasy SEC? This is a great question. It's going to have to be different for basketball and football is the bottom line. That's what we're getting at. But okay. they're, they're, they're not good enough in football to be with in the league where you're adding in Clemson. You're adding in. A, I know that Florida State right now is not that good, but we're, we're traditionally Florida State's going to be one of those teams in Miami as well. Um, Kentucky's not up there with football. No, but they're, I will say they're on the fringe. Like they've had years in, in recent years where they've been top 15. They've cracked the top 10. Before, um, before playing Georgia, <laughs> um, throw that in there. But so there would be years I think where they would win that league and, and move their way up to the Super League. But traditionally, no. Okay, so there's going to be a super super football league, super basketball league, and kind of the it, it, it gets tricky. Yeah, it does. There's going to be at that point. resistance because you're you're dismantling tradition. I just don't think it'd be fun as a as a Kentucky football fan. To be in a conference with Alabama, Florida, Georgia, LSU, Texas A&M, Texas, and Oklahoma, and Auburn, uh, not to mention many other teams that are better than Kentucky, but competitive with them, and and to feel like, I mean, they never have a shot. They never have a shot. They never have a prayer at winning it. Do you have any sympathy for the perspective that I'm going to advance, that it is no fun. Look, being an Illinois fan, I'll, I'll make it personal. Being an Illinois fan is no fun most years. But why would I care when suddenly I'm not even in the top League. division? Yeah. Right? I mean, what, what, I understand that, you know, this idea that it's, it's, competi- it's more competitive and we have got a shot to win. But part of me, and again, you know, this is fandom, so it doesn't have to be rational. Part of me wants to react to your proposal, Doug, by saying, well, I'm going to take my Illini football program and I'm going to turn Memorial Stadium into a museum, right? <laughs> into or, or some kind of really kind of strange loft dormitory. <laughs> you know, I, I'm going to quit and go home 
and then spend the rest of my time talking about how we're a legitimate academic institution, unlike these schools in the SEC and Notre Dame yeah, that are yeah. mere kind of football programs with right. universities attached. Yeah, um, I you know I think that's fair, but to be on the other side of things, like if it were basketball, Georgia would not be in that league. And I would say they deserve it. They have not earned it. They don't play at that level. They don't. I mean, it's just like making the. To me, basketball season starts uh, as far as it gets fun to watch when the NCAA tournament starts, and we're never in it. So it's just like you know, whatever. Might as well be. I mean, the NIT to me is that second tier league, and and that's kind of where where Georgia's been, and where you know you'd love to see a coach get them out of that and bring them into that top tier league, which would be. March Madness, the NCAA tournament, um, but they're kind of stuck in that NIT level of play. And and you know, if there were two leagues, they would deserve to be in the NIT league and not the the March Madness league. Okay, Doug, you have actually convinced me because of even though it break my heart as a fan, you've convinced me because your proposal would create. You know, I'm I'm a lover of chaos. I'm a lover of <laughs> havoc, and, and so. I would be, I'm willing to go along simply because I love the idea of watching how this would play out for the first couple of years because that danger of relegation would be amazing to see what schools would do especially remember now NIL and the and the um and the transfer portal have essentially established free agency in college sports so now you add we've got free agency we don't have any kind of salary cap or any kind of amateur draft so we've got that potential and now you're going to add this this feature of relegation that's going to be a lot of fun to watch like the absolute desperation because you know potentially the athletic budget i mean the, look some of the schools out there make 100 150 million dollars in athletic budgets with your super conference that might push things to $250 million for the Super SEC. When you go down to this NCAA level of competition, you might be looking at going from $250 million to $50 million or $25 million. Mm -hmm. So the amount of this suddenly changing your athletic department from this big business to something very small and trying to avoid that, I'm all in. I want to watch that happen. I want to watch it. I want to add one more thing on this subject. Imagine, imagine being a fan of a Mississippi State or an Ole Miss, one of these bottom tier SEC teams that occasionally has a year where they're pretty good, uh, top ten even. Imagine an egg bowl at the end of the season, Ole Miss, Mississippi uh -huh. State, to avoid relegation. It becomes just like in Ted Lasso. And this is what made me think of it. The uh, spoiler alert: Don't listen to this. Just like stop the episode uh, if you haven't watched season one of Ted Lasso and you want to. But last episode of the game, it was kind of the typical championship feel of a television finale in a sports television show. But rather than being a championship game, it was a game to avoid relegation. So some of these teams simply being in the Super League will be their pride, will be their joy, will be what they fight for all season. And they get to have, I mean, there's that that everything, you know, high stakes championship feel of a game when it's the bottom teams in the league. And so all of a sudden, like every game matters for everybody. 
and I love it. I would love to see Ole Miss versus Mississippi State fighting to stay in the SEC um, and potentially 10 years later to see a rematch of the same thing with the story and the history of one of the teams having knocked the other one out previously and the other team climbing their way back into that situation. Well, if nothing else, I think we've got the title for the L- for the episode of the relegation episode. Um, looking ahead, Doug, um, we're we're just about out of time here. What else is on your we there, look? There's been a lot of stuff that's happened since we talked sports. We've talked NFTs so and Ted Lasso. Um, so, any other kind of quick thoughts to sort of get us back up to back up to speed, back current? Um, last thoughts, or I guess catching up on the weeks in sports. We had the NBA Finals. Uh, that is done. Giannis is now a champion, and he went from being the guy that just couldn't get it done on the team that just couldn't get it done to now people are saying, look at what he's done compared to Jordan, compared to LeBron at this age. He's moving into that conversation in the minds of people all because of a championship, essentially all because Kevin Durant's toe was on the line. He was Kevin Durant's toe away from being a could have been, should have been, you know, wasn't good enough. But now he's the guy in the NBA for, for the time being. So I think that's a huge story. Um, NFL. And let me, let me. Let me just add to that. In Milwaukee, gets a championship. Milwaukee gets a championship. So the, the prototypical small market. I mean, and look, I've never really understood the relationship between Green Bay and Milwaukee sports, but mm-hmm. a Milwaukee championship's a a unique, a, a special event. Well, it's and it's great for the league, I think, because um, as far as if you're trying to build parity, teams like Milwaukee traditionally draft players like Giannis who traditionally leave after their first contract to go to teams like the Lakers and compete for championships, and you have the same teams. So seeing a player stick it out and seeing the team successfully build around him has to give hope to all the small mar- you know, to the Memphis Grizzlies and, and to all the teams like that and markets like that across the NBA. And hopefully for players, um, you know, helps them to understand, I don't have to join a team of top 10 NBA players to win a championship. I love it. I'm, I'm all for it. So stoked about that for, for the NBA. Um, Olympics have started and are in full, let, full swing. Let me have the very last note then. Yeah. Because we, we've definitely got some favorite themes. Because mm-hmm. on some level, we're fans and we like what we like. Aaron Rodgers is setting yeah. up for, for a... A documentary called The Last Dance Remix to air in 20, 30. I don't know, 2050 or 2041 or something or 2046. Yeah. Um, everything from posting pictures of Jordan and Pippen to just the the comments about the, the front office at Green Bay. It's, it looks like, I mean, I think it's totally uncertain as we ha- as record we record this on seven twenty six what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But if he's playing at Green Bay, it seems like it is going to be for that one last go around. I'm getting that impression. Uh, it's been a very dramatic off season for Aaron Rodgers, really for the NFL as a whole. And you know, I was thinking about this the other day when I heard the rumor that he was actually going to retire now. I had to think back. When was the last time we saw the reigning MVP of a league 
retire. Aaron Rodgers is at a very unique point in his career where he is the reigning MVP of the NFL. He is still the most valuable player in the league, and he's able to weigh retirement. He's able to weigh um, an end-of-career jump across teams to try to get one last championship, and he's able to weigh sticking it out for one more year with Green Bay and, and making one last run, one last dance, as you said, um, with the Packers. I don't know where it's going, man. I, I've had the feeling for the longest time that he's he's out of there, um, much like Tom Brady late in his career, much like Peyton Manning late in his career, both of whom won Super Bowls late in their career after switching teams. And so I, I've had the feeling that Aaron Rodgers is going to go that route. It certainly has felt as though his relationship with management in Green Bay is unrepairable. And yet now we're hearing he might just yeah. stick it out in Green Bay. We'll have to see. Yeah, I'm sure it's it's got to be. He's had enough. He's he's done with the Packers organization, but he still wants to play football, and he's still concerned about legacy. Mm-hmm. And so it's uh, you know he he's in a bit of a bind. But it's 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 kind of an amazing story, right? Because we've been talking about this off and on since February, mm-hmm. I think. And nothing's really it's happened really, except yeah. change change in speculation. <laughs> And a few bizarre or sort of unexplained Instagram posts along the way. I love social media. I love that it adds this element of, of people trying to decipher what a player means, a recruit in, in college sports or a player in, in the professional level. Last week, we had Kevin Durant beefing with Bam Adebayo, a fellow Olympian on the U.S. men's team. And nobody really knows if it's actual, you know, if they're playing around or if they actually hate each other and there's some serious um, locker room issues with that team. All kinds of speculation now goes into every tweet, whether it's a picture of a sunset or, um, like you said, a picture of the last dance that Aaron Rodgers is posting. So social media has added quite the interesting aspect of sports. I'd love to see what it would have been like, you know, had we seen Michael Jordan's Instagram or Twitter posts. (laughs) Uh, during his runs back in the day, but that's that's kind of the age we live in now. And uh, Aaron Rodgers seems to like the attention that comes with it. Seems to like to to stir the pot a little bit. Okay, and why don't we leave it there? So as always, uh, more content at www.fandomanalytics.com. Thanks for listening.